0: Hey church, my name is Brian Asker. We are so glad that you are with us. And this past week, I have been thinking a ton about love. Now I've been thinking about love for one reason, because last week Sandy preached about love in our sermon series on Romans chapter 12. And you know, as we've been walking through our Romans series, I've been challenged about how hard it really is to love someone authentically. I gotta be honest, I'm also thinking about love because this week, on May 21st, Sandy and I will celebrate our 15th wedding anniversary. And you know, there's no doubt that we love each other more today than we did 15 years ago. But it hasn't come without its bumps and its bruises along the way. And what's interesting is that we're typically at our best when we care more for the other than we do about ourselves. And we're often at our worst when we're so focused on our own needs and things that we want or think that we want that we hurt each other. And whether you're married or not, I think we've all experienced the ups and downs of a relationship. And then you can multiply that by almost infinity because we all live in a relationship with each other. And obviously, Some relationships are closer than others, but we all have an impact on each other. We can even love or hate somebody that we barely know. And the truth is that we all long to be loved. We all long to love as well. And sometimes we love really well, but other times we're so focused on ourselves that we fail to even consider what another person might need. And in today's passage, God is reminding us through the Apostle Paul, how we can love, how we can love others authentically. Well, last week, Sandy talked about Rome and the people in Rome and how it was filled with all sorts of people. At the time that Paul wrote this letter, Nero had recently relaxed taxes. He was trying to advance the economy and boy, it did its work. The effect was that people were coming into Rome from all over the place. There were immigrants that were looking for new lines of work, for a new life, and then there were slaves that were being brought in to fuel the economy from the conquests that they were doing all over the world. And everyone was there, from the rich and elite to the poor and powerless. You could even say that there were there were the haves and the have-nots, or as Paul puts it in chapter fourteen, there were the strong and the weak. And anyone could distinguish between the two. It was obvious. And among the elite, what's interesting is that there was this huge competition for greater status. And in the midst of all of this was the Roman church, likely five house churches that were filled with these very same people. And Paul is telling these people, he's telling every one of them, That in view of God's mercy, in view of, of God's love, that they would offer their lives as a living sacrifice. That they wouldn't conform to the patterns of this world seeking greater status, but rather they would look at themselves with sober judgment. They would use their gifts and they would invite others to use their gifts to benefit the community. And in all of this, he's inviting the Roman church to love each other despite their vast differences. And in today's passage, verses 14 through 16 of Romans chapter 12, Paul continues to exhort the Roman church not only to love each other, but also to love those outside their community. So in verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you, bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And do not be conceited. Four commands in all. And we'll walk through each one of them, starting in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse. And it appears that Paul is quoting Jesus, who said these very same things in the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 5. And that word bless, it means to speak well of. And the word persecute means to make run away or to drive away, to harass, trouble, or even to be mistreated. And there were certainly people in Rome. And in the Roman church who had been mistreated. They'd been driven away. Think about the slaves who had been captured and brought to Rome, not on their own will, to serve the economy. And then think about the Jewish Christians. They had literally been driven out of Rome just five years ago when Emperor Claudius had sent them away. And under Nero, they were returning, but they still had their wounds. And no doubt... Paul had in mind these people as he was telling them to speak well of those who had hurt them. But that's, that's what authentic love does. It speaks well of another person, even when they've hurt you. But I think it's also important to recognize that this does not mean that we hide the evil that the person has done. In verse 9, Paul has already told us that we are to hate what is evil. So what does it look like to hate what is evil and speak well of the person committing evil against you? Well, I can't give you a formula. But I think it starts with Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, I'll never forget a prayer by one of our students that happened in the middle of a huge outreach that we were doing on campus. See, we were doing a campaign to raise awareness about human trafficking an evil that still exists today in our world. In fact, we did a ton of events on campus. We did conversations on campus to help people to understand and hear the fact that there are more slaves today, even in the United States, than there were when we supposedly abolished slavery. And in the middle of of this campaign, of this outreach event, we were doing prayer meetings. And in one of those meetings, we were praying for the victims, for the people who were experiencing the pain of human trafficking, of human modern day slavery. And then Josh started praying. He started praying for the perpetrators, the people who were doing these evil things. And at first I thought, well, yeah, we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them to stop. But he wasn't praying just that. He was praying for the souls of the people, for the hearts of the people. He was praying for them to experience some sort of a renewal in their lives. And I began to realize that these perpetrators, these people who were doing the evil were broken. They were hurting. Something had happened in their life that caused them to feel like they needed to do something to hurt these victims. And Josh was teaching me something that day. That God loves every one of us. And that we all need Jesus. We all need Jesus' love. And I know it's difficult. But I imagine, and I wonder what it would look like, if we could figure out how to call out the evil but also speak well of and love the person doing the evil. What kind of a world would that be? Well, Paul continues in verse 15 telling us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who are mourning. Now, neither of these is an overly complicated idea. At the root of it, it's a simple idea of sympathy. Love identifies with people. There's a sense of solidarity that we have with people. Love enters into the joy that people have and the pain that people have. And at first glance, it seems kind of weird that Paul would even tell us to rejoice with those who rejoice. I mean, who doesn't want to celebrate something? But then I thought about the competitive nature of the elites and how they would have been jealous for the promotions and for all the status that they could gain that somebody else might have been getting in place of them. And I think. I think we too can feel that way sometimes. It's hard when somebody else gets that promotion that we were wanting or when somebody else gets something that we were hoping to get. And I think that's why Paul reminds us that we do need to rejoice with those who rejoice. Even when the person has gotten something that we wanted, that's love. Loving the person because they got something that they were excited about. Well, Paul also says that we're to mourn with those who mourn. And Romans, they didn't value mourning. That was a Jewish value. For Romans, that conveyed weakness. And I wonder if that's a little bit how we live out mourning in our prevailing Western culture. We're not very good at it. In fact, I remember being at an University Urbana Missions Conference. It's a triannual missions conference, and the program team had given us some time and space to lament with the persecuted church. And there were a variety of ways to engage. There were stories that you could read about martyrs and other persecuted Christians. There were prayer stations for people for the six most persecuted countries. And there were displays with information about the persecuted ch- church. And I think we were given about 30 minutes, but about halfway through a group of students began to sing. And pretty soon, almost all of the 20,000 students were singing along. And they were singing songs about God's triumph over evil. Now, I believe that God does triumph over evil and that we should celebrate that. But I also know that lament is a biblical discipline. And if you've ever been grieving, you know that in that moment of grief, it doesn't help you to, if I tell you, just get over it, or that God triumphs over evil, or God triumphs over this thing that you're experiencing. That's not helpful. What does help is a listening ear. Someone who says that must be hard. I don't fully understand it, but I believe that it's hard. And it struck me that, We're not very good at lament or grieving. We couldn't sit in the pain of our persecuted sisters and brothers for 30 minutes. And I wonder what it would look like if we did learn to mourn, to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. Would more of us feel supported, cared for? Well, next Paul tells us to live in harmony, to live in harmony with one another, And the first part of that verse literally means the same, to think the same thing towards one another, to have the same mind. And it sort of connects with that beginning of Romans chapter 12, the renewing of our mind. And without that common mind, we can't live together. We can't work together. But unity of mind doesn't mean uniformity. In fact, we're going to see in the coming chapters that this is not what Paul has in mind. I think what he does is knowing what people different from us believe and think, not so that we can create debate points. Rather, we want to have conversations that facilitate understanding. What motivates that person and what values are driving their decisions? And when we understand that, we can be of the same mind. We may not come to the same conclusions, but we can have mutual respect for each other. And I think it's pretty clear that this command is just as relevant in our politically divided world where we can't even agree on how to respond to a pandemic. Well, Paul moves on to talk about humility. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. The people of low position could mean humble people or it could mean humble things. In either case, Paul is either exhorting the believers to identify with those people on the margins or to be willing to do menial tasks. And I think we would do well if we did both. And finally, he finishes by telling them not to think that they're wiser than we really are. So Paul, Paul is telling the church, by extension us, that extending grace means authentically loving people, particularly those on the margins or on the outside. So what about you? How is God inviting you to love authentically? And I want to encourage you to pick One of Paul's commands, pick one that you can implement this week. Is it blessing those who persecute you? Maybe you want to begin to pray for them, like Jesus said, or like Rodney and and Pastor Brad talked about. Is it practicing solidarity with someone? What would it look like for you to rejoice with someone who's rejoicing or mourn with someone who's mourning? to experience those emotions with them? Or is it trying to live in harmony with others? Maybe you want to learn about someone different than yourself. Read a book, have a conversation. Try to get to the point where you understand why they think the way that they're thinking. Or do you need to deal with your pride? Maybe you could start a relationship with someone on the margin. I know that Bridges is still doing a food pantry on Tuesdays. And they could use some help. And I also know that Holy Grounds is still serving breakfast during this COVID-19 season. Whatever you feel God calling you to do, I hope that you do it. Because when we stop focusing on ourselves and we do the opposite and we start focusing on others, we authentically love each other and we change the world. Let's pray. God, we need your help. We need to remember how much you love us and how you've called us not to live in the patterns of this world, but instead to radically love others. Help us to set aside ourselves and to think of others first and to authentically love them. Amen.